Some of you, me too, we may all be in hell if we didn't know him, wouldn't we, right now? Come tonight, Brother Chester's going to be speaking. I try to, I've tried to do this, I try to get Brother Chester every other month uh, during the year, six times, and Brother Melvin six times on the months that Brother Chester's not. And then I try to give, and Brother Chester's going to be uh, speaking, teaching on Wednesday night during the month of October. Uh, I try to keep him, keep him going, keep him busy, because we need to hear what he has to say. And we need to hear the Lord. Uh, so come back tonight if you would. We're on a series called What You Know Might Not Be So. We're talking about deception. A lot of things uh, we can be deceived on. I want to talk about warning today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, if you'd like to follow along with the reading. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. Now he that plants and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, you're God's husbandry, you're God's building, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another builds it thereupon. But let every man take heed, and here's where I'm just concentrating on, kind of pulling this out a little bit. Every man take heed, you know, circle to take heed, how he builds thereupon. Most everybody here, I guess, has an iPhone or some kind of phone, cell phone. And you know you can put those apps on there. I don't know. Curious. Does anybody here have the app, My Shake? I didn't think anybody would have it, but I was just curious. Uh, you probably don't need it here, but you probably need it if you lived in California because it gives you a 5 to 10 second head start before an earthquake hits. That doesn't give you much time, but it gives you a chance to run over somebody getting out of the house, I guess. Uh, but it is a warning. One of the differences between pro football, college football, there's a lot of differences, even though I'm very disappointed the way college football seems to be going. Pro football has a two-minute warning. Two minutes before the end of the first half, two minutes before the end of the game. Just it's a timeout to let everybody know you've got two minutes to go. I've told you this before. Years ago, it's probably around 2005, 2006, my father was still alive. I remember that. We were having a men's Tuesday night prayer meeting. We was having it over at the old church before we moved in here. And uh, I left the church, got in my truck, and was coming home. And I was pulled over by a cop within 500 yards leaving the church. So I pulled over. His lights were on me, and I thought, what in the world have I done? And uh, he did everything. And he, I said, what did I do? He said, you were going 45 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. I said, oh, 
I don't know how I could have got up going that fast. I ain't been but 500 yards. Uh, but anyway, he said, but that's not all. I said, oh, what else did I do? He said, well, you didn't stop completely at that red light, at that stop sign. I said, oh, well, I'm prone to do that. Uh, <laughs> he said, but that's not all. <laughs> I said, what, what else? I was ready to give him my hand. I said, well, what, what else have I done? He said, your tag expired. So I broke the law three times within 500 feet of leaving church. But he gave me a warning. Thank the Lord he just gave me a warning. I've told you before, sometimes we look on the bottle of medicine and it gives us the warnings of the dangers it can produce. And that's worse than what you're trying to help uh, with curing by taking the medicine. 1965, they started putting warning labels on cigarette packs. And it said, cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health. I don't know how many people that turned away. But in, 19, in 2021, they changed it. They started putting it on the front and the back. It took up about 50% 50 of the pack. And they also put, a, put pictures on there to show you what cigarette smoking can do to your health. Well, Canada's gone a little bit beyond that. Their, their goal is to wipe out uh, cigarette smoking in Canada in the next few years. But they've gone with their warnings a little bit farther than we have. Well, a sweeping new strategy was implemented by Health Canada today. Every single cigarette <coughs> now comes with a warning label. It's the latest in a long series of measures to curb smoking. CTV's Adrian Gobriel now with the rationale and the reaction. There's poison in every pot. That message is set to become even harder to ignore for the millions of Canadians still inhaling the deadly addiction. This is a good news story. We don't have too many of them in this field. Health Canada's new regulation is now in effect. By April 2025, all individual cigarettes will have a written warning in English and French of the life-threatening ailments from smoking. The hope is that Canadians will butt out, though some smokers aren't so sure. If you smoke already, you're still going to smoke, right? You don't think it's going to deter? No, I don't think so. Canada is the first country in the world to roll out the new requirement. It's a move being met with measured optimism from the director of Ontario's Tobacco Research Unit. Will these new labels reduce the number of smokers? Not by a huge amount. Canada has a history of sparking a progressive path to stamp out smoking. In 2001, it became the first to require tobacco companies print pictures with warnings on packages. The country has set a goal of reducing the number of smokers across the nation to less than 5% by 2035. 2020, 13% of Canadians aged 15 and older smoked cigarettes. This isn't going to bring us down anywhere near less than 5%. Motion is granted. Other countries are taking even bolder steps. This year, New Zealand banned the sale of tobacco to anyone born in 2009 or after. We need to start having a tobacco-free generation. How can it be that in 2023, we're still legally selling cigarettes at every street corner and in some places 24 hours a day? So that tells you how strong the tobacco lobby has been. The new messaging will appear on each of the more than 20 billion cigarettes sold across the country each year. Smoking remains to be the leading cause of preventable disease and death in Canada. Adrian Gobriel, CTV News, Toronto. They're trying to warn you on every cigarette. Of course, some of it was in French. I'd buy them French ones if it was me. If I was a smoker, I couldn't read what it said. Anyway... <laughs> Warnings. We're, we're confronted with warnings all the time. Here we are between now and really about the next two months is really the peak of hurricane season. 
And uh, you'll see from time to time, you'll see hurricane watch. A hurricane watch means a hurricane, which is 74 miles per hour, up above 74 miles per hour, uh, is possible in a specified area within 48 hours. That's a hurricane watch. Hurricane warning is hurricane conditions are expected in a specified area within the next 36 hours. Uh, so we're, we're dealing with warnings every, every day. When you hear a siren goes off, you know that they're warning you to get off the road or whatever because an emergency or something's taking place. Or you see a, the caution light before it turns red. It's letting you know, warning you to stop because it's fixing to turn red. A warning is this. It's an evidence of an impending danger, difficulty, or misfortune. We give people warnings because we think they're either unaware or can be tricked or fooled or deceived or something. The prophets of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament were demanded by God to warn the people. And if they didn't, he told Ezekiel, if you don't warn the people of what's coming, if they don't repent, their blood will be on your hands. And so they had to give the warnings. Now, we're going to talk about today, we're talking about deception. I want to look at this subject of warnings. The need for warnings and our response to warnings. Now, we live in a world of warnings. Parents are constantly warning their children. Preachers are supposed to be warning the congregation. Uh, Attorneys are often warning people, you need to come call us or you'll get taken advantage of by them big insurance companies uh, or whatever. Uh, If you allow it, it can drive you crazy. If you don't heed the warning sometime, it takes your life. Here's what advertisers, advertising agencies, they say this is how many times somebody has to see something and they're in the business of trying to convince people to buy a product. They say they have to see it so many times before they even take it serious or do anything about it. Here's what they say. The first four times you see an ad, you don't even notice it. The fifth time you see it, you finally read it. The sixth through the eighth time you see it, it starts to annoy you. It starts to annoy me, usually in the first one. Anyway, by the ninth time, you start to wonder if there's something to it. By the tenth to the twelfth time, you start to casually think about it. By the thirteenth to the nineteenth time, you start slowly convince yourself you need it, and you start saving to purchase it. By the twentieth time you see the ad, you're sold on it. So it takes a long time. You know the old story we told one time about the uh, two guys with the gas company would go out to this old lady's house to put propane in her gas tank. And she was washing the dishes one day, and the two gas men come up there, and, and, the, and the propane tank was right outside her window where she was washing. She spoke to them, and they waved at her. And uh, it was an older man, like in his 50s, and a young boy that he was training, and he was in his mid-20s. And, and they were talking out there, filling up the propane. And, and uh, one of them said to the other, you know, I'm 55 years old. I bet you I can still outrun you. And the old 25-year-old said, there's no way you can outrun me, Grandpa. Uh, he said, well, let's test it. Let's, let's have a race from here. When we get this filled up, let's take off, and let's see who can get to the, the gate fastest. Okay, and they did, and the woman's washing her dishes, and she's 85. And uh, all of a sudden, she looked up, and there go the two gas men running just as fast as they could, and, and they touched the gate. The young one touched it first. The other one just about a step behind him. And the little 85-year-old woman right behind him. <laughs> and they said, what are you doing? She said, well, yeah, I don't know. But when I see two gas people take off running, I ain't going to sit around to ask questions. <laughs> most of us, most of us uh, don't, don't, they say it takes 20 times before we respond. Some people respond quicker than that. Uh, 
Think about this. We're told all our life they're warning you you need to eat healthy. If you don't eat healthy, it can do this to your body, you can so forth. It make you live longer and all this. But here's the kind of way we reason things. One guy said, You gotta die of something. <laughs> one guy said, I want to be sick when I die, I don't want to be healthy. Anyway, one guy said, I know a lot of people that are out of shape and eat horribly and they've lived to a long age, and I know some people that have tried to be real healthy and they died early. Another one said this, uh, I'd rather die a couple of years earlier and enjoy my life and eat this stuff that you tell me to eat and live two years longer. One, guy, <laughs> one person said this, when it's your time to go, you're going to go, it don't matter what you eat. Another said, well, the Bible says when you pray over your food, the food is sanctified. So if I, no matter what I'm eating, if it's sanctified, I'm okay. So anyway, we've got a lot of ways we deal with warnings. When people warn us about something that's not good, uh, we've got a way to convince ourselves we're the exception to the rule or it doesn't apply to us or it doesn't matter or whatever it may be. The Bible talks about two types of people. When you tell them that the Lord's coming back, like Keith was saying a while ago, there's two types of people in the last days that respond differently to that message. One is scoffers. Second Peter 3, 3 and 4 says scoffers says this, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Say, they've been saying this for a thousand years and ain't nothing changed. That's a scoffer. These are another kind that, that doesn't pay attention to the warning of the Lord coming back is mockers. According to Jude Verse 17 through 19. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. So there's scoffers and there's mockers. Now, let's talk about warnings just a bit. Words of warning. Take you back to English. There's something called a synonym. A synonym is just different ways, different words or phrases that mean the same thing as something else. It's, uh, it's just a different way of saying something. In other words, here's some different synonyms for the phrase of warning people. Be careful. That's a warning. Be cautious. Keep your eyes open. Stay on your toes. Watch out. Watch your step. Look out. Keep your distance. Beware. Pay attention. All these things, and you can go on and on, are just ways people are warning somebody about something. They're trying to say, be, be, be alert, and so forth. Well, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the King James Version, we looked at it in the King James Version today, there's a two-word phrase. You ought to do a study on this sometime in the New Testament. And the warning is, take heed. Amen. When you hear that phrase, take heed, that's a warning. That's a red flag going up. He's trying to tell you you're going to, you're going to be deceived or suckered in this area right here. So I want to look at three warnings in the New Testament that we don't think about, but they're warnings you better pay attention to. Number one, don't quit early. Go to Colossians chapter 4, 15 through 17. Here's what it says. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say unto Archippus, take heed, there it is, 
Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. Okay, don't quit early. Now, Paul's winding up this book of, of Colossians here, and he's, and he's mentioning a lot of different names of people that's helped him in the ministry, a part of this church, and so forth. How would you like to have your name in the Bible? Mm, I wouldn't mind it, but I would mainly want my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. How about you? That's the only one I want to make sure my name's at. Well, in verse 15 of this, he mentions a guy named Nymphus. Uh, he was a guy that they were having church in his house. His was the church, first church in Nymphus. And uh, in those days, in Bible days, that's where they had church. They didn't have buildings set aside to worship God in. It was house to house. They just went house to house until uh, many years later when they started having buildings dedicated to as houses of worship. Now, he's talking about this church here. He's winding things up. He talks about the church at Laodicea. Now, in Colossians, that's written about roughly 60 A.D. We hear about the Laodiceans in Revelation, the lukewarm church. You remember that church. That's about 95 A.D. So about 35 years later, the church at Laodicea was a lukewarm church. I don't know what was going on here 35 years earlier when he's talking about the church at Laodicea in Colossians. But anyway, he mentions it to them. And, and in verse 16, he talks about uh, reading the epistle to the Laodiceans. Now that makes people's ears go up. They say, well, you mean there's an epistle to the Laodiceans that we don't have in our Bible? Well, we believe the Bible is God's inspired word. you agree with me on that? It's infallible and inerrant. We believe God moved upon holy men of old and breathed into them. It's God-inspired and so on and so forth. There are some books that were going around in the early church that we don't have today. There were two books written to the Corinthians that we don't have. Well, that bothers me. You mean there's things out there maybe? No, if God can move upon men to write it, he can move upon us, men to get the right books to us. You don't need to waste your time wondering if there's something out there that we didn't get. You need to find out what we did get and start believing it and obeying it. That's what we really need to do. But anyway, he mentions that book right there. And then he comes on down and mentions a guy named Archippus. Um, he was a man that, he said, make sure, I'm warning you, fulfill your ministry. Now, he's mentioned a couple other places in the New Testament. What was going on with Archippus? I don't know. Maybe he was giving up. Maybe he'd come to the point like Demas. He's ready to go another way, loving the world. Maybe he's discouraged. Maybe he feels like his days are over. That's not unusual for a pastor to sometimes say it's about over for me. Uh, one of my favorite little uh, pictures I told him to copy up here is about not giving up. And see the frog that's being eaten by the stork, but he got his hand around the stork's neck, and he is, he's hanging on to the very end. And uh, we all need to take a picture of that. Don't give up. Winston Churchill, the great orator and great leader in Great Britain during World War II, his, one of his most famous speeches I, read, I heard this one time he came to a college after World War II. He, came to, he was speaking at different colleges, and he came up there, and, and he, he spoke this, and he said, he got up there with his top hat and everything that he had on, and he told these students, never, 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 never give up. And then he sat back down. And that's truly what we, maybe that's what's going on here. He says, make sure, don't give up, don't throw in the towel, don't quit. I know there's a lot of times we all feel like, What's the use? 
what am I doing here? We get discouraged, we get frustrated and things like that. The enemy will be sure to tell us how sorry we are and what we're not doing and all this kind of stuff. Some people think I'm too old, I need to let it get out of the way, there's somebody younger and all this. And there comes a time for all of us when it's time to pass the torch. I'm not saying that. It's coming a time for me too. Uh, But I'm saying just fulfill what God gave you to do. And then it's time to pass the torch. It's time to pass the torch. That's okay. Just don't quit. Uh, Don't get sidetracked. Don't get off the mark or whatever. That's what he's telling him. Lot's wife, God told him to get out of Sodom. And she didn't get out until she had to look back. She didn't finish what she started. There's a lot of different people. Let me tell you this. Paul knew when it's time for him to give up his ministry or his time was over. That's what he said to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He said this, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. My, what God has given me to do, I've finished it. I have kept the faith. Jesus knew when it was, his ministry was over. He said this in John 13, 1. When Jesus knew that his hour has, was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, it says he loved them until the very end. But he knew my time's up now. And God will tell us when our time's up, and we need to understand that. But finish what God called you to do. That's all he's saying. Warning, don't stop short. If God started a work in us, he's going to finish it. So let's just finish what God calls us to do. That's one of the warnings in the New Testament. Here's another one. Warning, don't get cocky. And that's not a King James Version. That's a West Version. Don't get cocky. 1 Corinthians 10 7 through 12, here's what he said. Neither you be idolaters, as some, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day 23,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, there's that warning, lest he fall. Okay, now there's a lot of things in life, little of it's good, a lot of it is bad. I'm going to give you some examples of what I'm talking about. You can overdo something. It can be a good thing, but if you do too much of it, it can turn out to be a bad thing. Salt. Salt on your food's good. If you don't have salt, it don't have no flavor. Everybody knows that, don't you? It enhances the flavor of something. But you could dump the salt shaker on there, and it's unedible. So a little of it is very good. A lot of it is bad or bad for you or whatever. Fertilizer. Fertilizer is a good thing. If you've got a garden or you've got plants or whatever, a little fertilizer can make it grow. It gives it that nutrition. But you dump the whole bag on it, it's going to kill it. So a little of it's good. A lot of it's bad. Here's another one. This might be controversial. Makeup. <laughs> a little makeup, I guess women to cover the blemishes or whatever you're covering, uh, is a good thing. can be a good thing. It may enhance your beauty. A lot of it, is cheap looking. <laughs> you get too much of it, you look very, uh, I don't know what you look like. Uh, so you got to be careful. Uh, a little medicine is good. It can help cure your illness. You take too much, it can kill you. 
So what I'm saying is a little something is good, a lot of it can be bad. Now, there used to be an old phrase that you've heard all your life, he's a jack of all trades, a master of none. Basically means they can do a lot of things pretty good, but they're not real good at anything. Well, the Bible tells us that we need to be confident, and we're going to talk about that for just a second here. We need to be confident. We need to know who we are. You need to know who you are in Christ. You need to know who He is. You need to know who you are. Uh, you need to know what He's done for you. That's very important for a child of God to be confident in what Christ has done for us. Let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. You can just study the book of Ephesians. I was just going through chapter 1 and 2. And uh, you need to circle or underline every verse in there that says in Christ or in Him. Talking about who we are in Him. Just look at verse uh, chapter 1 and 2. I just wrote down some. I am blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Verse 1 3. All means all. That means he, he hadn't left anything out for us. Everything there is, he's provided for us in Christ. I am chosen before the foundation of the world. Isn't it nice to be chosen? You ever come along when you're playing sports or doing something, picking teams, and you're the last one chosen? God chose you. I am holy and blameless in him. Not, when I see myself, I see a lot of problems. But he says I'm holy and blameless. That's what he's done for me. That's how he's covered me. I have been adopted by him, verse 5 says. I grew up in a big family. I'm in a bigger family. And now I'm in a family of God. I have redemption in him, verse 8 says. He bought me with a high price. That tells me all of us are worth something to him. I can tell you he was willing to pay that price for us. I have purpose in him. I'm not living aimlessly. God's got a purpose for my life. I have hope, he said in verse 12. If you have no hope, you don't have any life. But we have hope. Our hope is in him. I am sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, verse 13 says. He's put his stamp of ownership on me. He's not ashamed to be calling us his children. I'm a saint. What's the old song said, when the saints go marching in? Well, Lord, I want to be in that. I'm going to be in that number. I'm a saint, not because I'm something different than anybody else, but he's made me a saint. He's called me out, and I'm that because of him. I'm alive in Christ, chapter 2, verse 5 says. I was once dead in trespasses and sin. Now I'm alive. I'm God's workmanship, verse 10 of chapter 2. Aren't you glad God's still working on us? And, and you can go on and on. This is what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. You need to just do a study on who you are. Now, we need to know, if you don't know who you are in Christ, I guarantee the devil's not going to tell you who you are. He's going to take that and use it against you and, and steal and destroy and everything else. He'll take advantage of you. So you need to know who you are in Christ. But don't get cocky. What are you talking about when he says, take heed when a man thinks he stands. Don't, you know, take heed lest he fall. I heard one time of the, of the rooster he thought every time he crowed what made the sun come up. And he kind of felt if he didn't crow, the sun wouldn't come up. Well, I'm going to tell you, the sun came up without him. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul goes over many different advantages the Israelites had. They were special. They were special to God. He called them out. They were his people, the apple of his eye and all of this. He said in chapter 10, he said, God led them. He led them by a pillar of cloud and a fire. God led them. God fed them. He fed them quail. He fed them manna. He fed them water. He took care of them. He did all of these things. That's who they were. They were special to him. He said, I'll provide, I'll protect, I'll do this. But then he lists all the things that they did because they got 
cocky and didn't need him. He said they went into idolatry, fornication, complaining and grumbling, and they were destroyed and so on and so forth. He said, learn from their example. You need to learn this. Everything we have is because of him. Because of him. But don't get to thinking that it's because of you. I heard one time of a man, he was complaining to his wife because every time he would get in there to take a shower, the soap would slip out of his hand or whatever, and he couldn't do it. So she fixed that. She said, I'm going to get you a soap on a rope. And you just put it around your neck and hang there, and you won't, it won't slip out and all this, and you can use it to be there. So she gave it to him, and he put it on there. He went and took him a shower. Come out there. She was cooking. She said, how do you like the soap on a rope? He said, I don't like it. He said, I threw that thing away. He said, why? He said, because I like to broke my neck trying to wash my feet with that thing around my neck. <laughs> anyway, he didn't understand exactly, exactly the purpose of that thing. Uh, well, we can fall easily if we're not careful. Peter was very confident that he, that he loved the Lord more than anybody else. And, and, and Jesus said, boy, you don't even know what you're talking about. You'll deny me three times before the sun comes up. Listen to this. A lot of people think pastors are on another level than everybody else, and they uh, don't have any problems, or they, they're infallible almost. You don't know what you're t- talking about. 38% of pastors are thinking of quitting the ministry. That's almost 4 out of 10. 80%, this comes from Pastoral Care Incorporated. 80% of pastors believe pastoral ministry has had a negative effect. On their family. 34% of pastors wrestle with pornography. One out of ten pastors, only one out of ten will retire as a pastor. They will leave, they'll do something else or whatever. So here, you have to find a balance. We have to be able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we also need to hear the words of Jesus over and over, John 15. Without me, you can do nothing. So you've got to have a proper balance. He says, take heed when you think you stand, when you're on your own and you don't need God, you'll fall. I heard one time of a a woman that had been praying for her husband for years. He was an alcoholic. Praying, trying to get him to go to church, begging, pleading, witnessing, doing everything she could. One day he said, I'm going to go to church with you. And this has been... 25 years she'd been trying to get him to go. He got dressed. They went to church. They were in the church service, and it was kind of quiet. They were having a prayer, and he wasn't thought nothing of it, and his phone went off. And uh, he couldn't get to it, couldn't find it, and couldn't get the thing to shut off, and people were looking around at him, and shh, 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 turn that off, or whatever. He was doing that, and they looked at him, and some were scouring and all this. He felt, he felt the weight of it on him. When they left and people looked at him and almost like, what did you do that for and all this? He felt very low. He went out and his wife, all the way home, she fussed at him, you embarrassed me so much and all this. And that afternoon he was feeling so low he went back to the bar that he used to go to all the time. And he was there and he bought him a drink and went and sat at the table and blew up and spilt the whole drink. The barmaid come out with a towel and, here, let me clean you up a little bit and wiped it up. He was so embarrassed. He said, I'm sorry. They were cleaning it up around him. He said, that's all right. Don't worry about it. The bartender, the, the owner, said, buy him a new drink. He lost that one. Give it to him for free. 
And he told the owner, he said, I'm so sorry I'm making a mess. He said, man, it happens and so forth. Bottom line, the story was this. He never went back to church. And he never stopped going to the bar. Don't think that you can't fall. Don't think that you're, we sometimes think we're, we're infallible and we can do this and we can look and we can judge and all this. Without the Lord, every one of us can stumble and fall. And we can't, don't want to be someone that uh, thinks we're above it. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Here's the third one. Don't let cares or carelessness get you. Luke 21. This is Jesus. And he spoke to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise, ye, when you see these things come to pass, he's talking about his second coming, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And take heed, there it is, take heed to yourselves. He said, here's the warning. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day comes upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. You know, one of the biggest problems we have, anybody here that rides a bike, uh, I've ridden them over time, but not a lot. Uh, you can tell when you're going uphill on a bike. It's tough. And whenever you top that hill and you come down, you don't keep pedaling. You just coast. Man, it's nice just to just take the pressure off your legs, just to coast a little bit and go downhill. What he's saying is in the last days, be careful that you don't coast. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get careless. And if you get careless, you'll be overrun with cares because you're coasting. I'll tell you this. I don't know about you. This is weird, but when I don't leave very much. When I'm gone for a couple of weeks on vacation in October, miss a couple of Sundays, I almost feel a little disconnected when I come back. Does anybody feel that? You just, you've only been out a week or two, but it just feel like I'm almost not a new person coming in here, but I just feel disconnected. Some of you don't feel that. Some of you can be out two or three months and it doesn't bother you. <laughs> and the reason is because you're not connected when you're here. That's a whole other sermon. But anyway, I'm going to tell you. But it's easy to coast, and it's easy to just start taking things easy. You'll start taking things easy. I don't need to read the Word as much, don't need to pray as much, don't need to be around people as much. You're starting to get careless and coasting a little bit. He says you've got to be very careful. When you get careless in these last days, you're going to see the things in this world, the cares will overtake you. They will start mounting up on you. George Mueller said this, The beginning of worry or anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of true faith is the end of worry and anxiety. Here's what we worry about. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about cares. The average person is worrying and caring about this. 40% of the things he's worried about will never happen. 30% are things he couldn't change. 12% he worries about it, the criticism of other people, and most of it's untrue. 10% of the things he worries about is his health, 
And the more you worry about it, the worse your health gets. Uh, and then 8% are real problems that need to be faced. Jesus is talking about the last days. He said, no, don't get careless and, and start taking a little vacation from God and get careless because all of a sudden all of that world will gobble you up and you won't be prepared and you won't be prepared because the Lord's going to show up when you're not ready. He said the only solution is to watch and pray. What are you watching and praying for? I'm praying, I'm watching and praying to be delivered from whatever the cares are or either to give me the strength to go through whatever these things are. Let me give you some final warnings here. And there's many of them in the New Testament where he says, take heed. British evangelist Rico, Rico Tice, he says this, warning people is really loving people. He was invited by his friend to go to Australia, and he was going to spend a week in Australia with his buddy, and he took him to a beach called Botany Beach in Australia. And uh, it's a little, the section they were at was kind of separated from the main beach, and his buddy, and, uh, Mr. Tice, started taking off his shirt. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to go in there and swim. He said, don't you see that sign right there? And the sign said, danger, sharks. He says, a high number of sharks in this area of the beach over here for some reason. 200 people have been killed by sharks over a period of time. 200. He said, I don't worry about it. It ain't going to bother me. He said, well, you got to figure out this. Is that warning sign, is that something that's trying to save your life or ruin your fun? And that's what a lot of warnings are. Is when God gives us a warning, is it to save our life or to ruin the fun we want to have? Pastor Mike Deese, he had a small fire at his home. Fortunately, him and his wife were there, and they, and the, they called the fire department. They put it out, and it just caused some smoke damage. It messed up a little bit, but didn't destroy his house, and everybody was safe because they were all there. A couple days later, he talked to his neighbor who lived behind him. And they said, you know, I've been, and the fire started at his meter box. Something sparked and all. His neighbor told him, I was out in the yard for the last couple of days, and I've been looking at your meter box, and I've been seeing sparks coming out of it. And he said, you reckon that would have been something you'd been telling us about? Why didn't you tell us? If we'd have been asleep. We could have been dead. Our house could have been destroyed. Some people think if they don't warn nobody, just things are going to go away. That's not the case. Listen to this, and I'm going to wind it down. Since 1924, there have been 35 documented Category 5 hurricanes. There's not a lot of Category 5. 35 since 1924. And that means 57 mile power and higher sustained winds. That's That's power. There's only been four in that time that hit the United States. Four with that kind of strength. Michael, you remember Michael in 2018 went up there, hit Mexico Beach in Florida there? That was 160 mile an hour winds. Andrew, everybody remembers Andrew, 1992, hit Homestead down there, 165 mile an hour winds. The Labor Day hurricane, they didn't have a name for it in 1935. And then 1969, a hurricane called Camille. You remember Camille? 
they said that winds were 175, some going up to 205 miles an hour. It destroyed 5,662 homes, 1,082 mobile homes, 775 farm buildings, barns and so forth, 679 small businesses, 256 people died, and 8,931 people were injured. It went in at Pass Christian right there on the coast at Mississippi. You know, you got Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and then the panhandle of Florida. And Mississippi and Alabama doesn't have a lot of coastal property there, but it went in at Pass Christian, which is a little bit to the west of, of Gulfport, Mississippi, and Slidell, Louisiana, or whatever. It went in there at Pass Christian. But here's what I was going to tell you. The police chief of that city or that town was named Jerry Peralta. He was going by telling people, get out. He went to an apartment complex right there on the beach, and this is right where it hit. It was a three-story building. They were having a hurricane party. They were drinking and all, and he said, y'all need to get out. This thing's going to be bad, and it's coming. And the guy held a drink. He said, this is my property. You can't order me off my property. And so we're going to stay. We're having a party. We're, we're going to be okay. And he said, well, then let me do one thing. He didn't run them off or anything. He said, let me do one thing. There's 20 of them up there. He said, let me get the next of kin of each one of you because I'm going to have to be able to contact somebody. And they laughed at it and gave him the names of their kin folks and everything. But at 1035, Hurricane Camille came through with gusts up to 205 miles an hour. They said the rain felt like bullets hitting somebody. They were on the third floor with their party. The next morning after it passed, there was no third floor. There was no second floor or first floor, nothing but a foundation. And they all went out to eternity. Do you pay attention to warnings? To warn somebody is to love somebody. That's what, we're living in a day of deception, a day of turmoil, a day of things are wrapping up quickly, and I'm just here to warn you. Sometimes I feel like a voice crying in the wilderness because people don't want to hear things, but I'm telling you, take heed. Take heed. It's like a light flashing. Take heed. Prepare yourself. Would you stand with me? I'll say this, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's my first and the most important warning I can give you. You're playing with fire. You're playing with eternity. You will not get a second chance. Once you, your life ends or once the Lord comes back, there's no, I don't see any second chances for people. But you do have a chance today. Jesus came and died, gave his life. You can't be in Christ unless you've repented of your sins and he lives in your heart, then he transforms your life and your relationship with God. That's what he did at Calvary. If you don't know him or if you've been playing church or you've been doing this, that's the number one warning. These other warnings were given to Christians. This is a warning I'm giving to you. That's not a Christian. Let's pray. 
If you don't know him, I'm inviting you right now. This can be the rest of your life we're talking about. One day the knocking will stop. One day the Spirit of God will quit tugging. And it'll be over. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if there's any here today that are not where they need to be with you, Maybe they're enjoying life. Maybe they're enjoying, they're coasting through life, enjoying what this world has to offer. Got plans down the road, but their plans are not in effect right now. I pray, Father, for everyone here today, men or women, boy or girl, warnings, Bible's full of them, as one of your vessels, I have, to, I have to give a warning. I do it in love, but I do it in all sincerity. Father, if there's any here today, I pray don't let them leave without Jesus transforming their life and heart and giving them a brand new life full of hope and joy and peace. We thank you, Lord, for your warnings to the children of God, too. God, help us to be not one that has to hear it a dozen times or 20 to help us to be more sensitive to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. When you say something, help us to say, Lord, here am I. Is it me? Help me to do, help me see myself. I'm not looking at anybody else. Help me to see myself do a work in my heart. And Father, I pray for everyone here today, the lost or Christians, help us to heed the warnings, the warnings of the Word, the warnings of the Spirit. In Jesus' holy name. If you need to respond today, these altars are open for you. If you need prayer today, just come and pray before you leave. It's more important than getting to the restaurant early, I can tell you that. Because this is food for your eternal soul. Tonight, Brother Chester, bring us the word. God bless you for coming. If you need prayer, come pray. We'll pray with you. We'll stay here with you. In Jesus' name. God bless you.